um, to be done by noon, and so uh, so we'll we'll jump right in. Um, this session will really focus primarily um, on Paul's letters, and so as you've been tracking through, you will know that we have. Uh, quite a few of Paul's letters in the New Testament. They make up a huge part of the, our New Testament and um, that we have a lot of those uh, letters to go over. And um, so this session will feel like we're moving very, very quickly because we have um, quite a few of the letters of the New Testament still left to look at. And again, we're doing this um, chronological overview. We're doing this this um, th this very uh, quick approach where we're kind of just letting you... Um, see the big picture, how all of these different parts of the scripture fit together. And so uh, the goal is to uh, go through Paul's letters, not in the order that they appear in our New Testament. They are arranged and grouped together in our New Testament uh, with the particular themes and emphases in mind, but they're not actually uh, written in the, uh, put in the uh, order in our New Testament uh, the way that they were actually written and in the order they were written. So um, as best we can, we're going to try to piece together the order that Paul wrote these. We aren't, we aren't always 100% sure, but we're going to try to piece together as best as possible and talk about them in the order uh, that Paul wrote them. But what's clear is that Paul actually wrote these within a very, very um, condensed time period. Um, and um, they're all from a period of time that not that far removed um, from Christ uh, when he was um, on earth. Before we jump into Paul's letters, there's just a couple of letters. There's three letters that we just need to touch on very, very briefly as we kind of try to wrap up all of the New Testament. And so First and Second Peter and Jude are um, three letters that are short, and they are towards the very end of the New Testament. And they um, help to complete this New Testament canon of Scripture. So First and Second Peter written by the Apostle Peter. So the Peter that we read about in the Gospel stories, the author of, of these letters. And uh, best estimate is that first, the letter of 1 Peter was written in the early 60s AD. And, um, and Peter writes not to one specific church, but he writes to churches that are in specific regions. And he mentions those in the first verses um, of 1 Peter. And remember, Peter is given this charge by Jesus to shepherd the sheep to he'll be the rock upon which the church is built and so Peter really has the shepherd's heart that comes through um, in his letters and it's this idea where he's really encouraging and pastoring these churches and encouraging them in how to live and so he deals a lot with um, um, Judas as a Christian like how do you live as a Christian he talks about the importance of holiness as a Christian he talks about family relationships first Peter contains writings about the relationship between a husband and a wife he also also talks about how do you deal with authority figures and how do you deal with authorities remember the church is being persecuted by authorities and so how do you as a Christian live in relationship with um, authorities whenever they are um, opposing you so for us today that's not something we wrestle with but there are Christians in the world today who have to wrestle with those very questions of how do you deal with living under authorities who are persecuting you for your faith so these are the types of issues uh, that first Peter deals with Second Peter and Jude, uh, written probably around the same time, um, somewhere in the late 60s, 65 to 68 AD, right at the end of Peter's life. And um, Peter, in, again, in Second Peter, is instructing the church, and this time he's really instructing them on how to deal with um, false teachers who are coming into the church and trying to influence people and really um, spread these false teachings. 
Uh, Peter's really writing to um, help to foster, to stimulate Christian growth, uh, to help them combat these false teachings that are coming in, and also to encourage them to be watchful for the Lord's return. And um, we'll see this in some of Paul's writings too, but in this time period, there was a, a very high expectation that Christ was going to return at any moment. And the earliest believers really were very, very expectant that Jesus was going to return, and that really shaped um, how they thought about their faith and how they thought about their lifestyle. Um, and then finally, the incredibly short letter of Jude. It comes in our New Testament right before the, the final book of Revelation. We don't know the exact specific date, but it deals with um, issues that are very, very similar to Second Peter. And so they're always kind of put together in terms of uh, when they were written. And um, they're very, very similar in content. And um, so it's most likely that it was addressing um, maybe the same groups of people. Um, certainly deals with the same issue as Second Peter in terms of how to deal with false teaching coming into the church. So that just helps us to kind of complete our full picture um, of, the, of the letters in the New Testament. And, um, but we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at Paul's writings. So um, the first thing I wanted to touch on very briefly is why is Paul so important? And um, one of the things that um, as a Christian becomes quickly obvious is that you, as you're in church every week and as you're hearing um, teachers and pastors preach and teach, it sometimes feels as if you hear more about Paul uh, than you do about Jesus that you often will read more from Paul's letters than you do from the Gospels. That it's really, it seems to be that Paul said this, and Paul said that. Uh, maybe sometimes more than even Jesus said this, or Jesus said that. And why is that, why is that the case? I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that. Like, why are we always talking about Paul? Like, what is it that Paul has to say that can be that important that we're always talking about Paul? Well, if you kind of can think about all the reasons why that's important, then that's, that's great, because there are so many reasons. But a couple in particular that I just wanted to highlight um, that are really important for us um, as we think um, about the life of Paul, and I've just put them up there. The first one is the whole mission to the Gentiles, and Mark's talked about that um, in the book of Acts. And the second half of the book of Acts, as Mark showed us, is really this uh, outlining all of these jour missionary journeys of Paul and really tracks through Paul's life. And um, Paul is, it's, it's interesting because in Acts, it's Peter who's the first one to really reach out to, the, to see the Gentiles come into faith through that story with Cornelius. But then it's really Paul that takes up the mantle of reaching out to the Gentiles in a very systematic way where he would go on these missionary journeys. And it's in Paul's life and in Paul's writings that we really get this um, example of going out and reaching the Gentiles and taking the faith beyond the, the um, original Jewish context and taking the gospel out to all of these different locations. And so it's as Paul does that, he helps us through his life story and also through his writings to understand why is that so important and, and what are the w different ways that you can reach different groups of people. And Paul was an expert in reaching different groups of people with the gospel. So that's the first reason. The second reason is Paul is really the first person and the major person in the New Testament. He, he was used by God to really begin to systematically show us why Jesus was so important. He was the one who really began to piece together with his vast knowledge of the Old Testament and his vast knowledge of Greek and the current culture that he lived in. He was uniquely able to bring these two elements together. He understood both very, very well. He was able to take elements from both and really show why Jesus was so significant and why, what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. 
And so the shorthand way of thinking about this is the Gospels really present the life of Jesus and the different events. It's Paul's letters that tell us why those events were so significant and what it really means. Paul is kind of like the lens through which we see Jesus. And it's this extra layer that really helps us to more clearly see who Jesus is and why. So when we're talking about, it always seems like we're talking about Paul. The reason we're talking about Paul is because he is the one who helps us to interpret who Jesus is. Does that make sense? Um, so Paul's letters, um, like we said, we're going to touch on those chronologically. And uh, just one thing to note is the order that I go through them today, you might be reading a chronological Bible study, and it'll go through in a slightly different order. The reason is some of these we're just not exactly sure exactly what day they were written. We don't know the exact year, but we do know roughly when they were written, but some people will put them in slightly different order. So if you do run across that, don't get too concerned about that. It's really um, not a fundamental issue to our faith that these that we can't really figure out exactly what order, but just know that that does exist. Um, Mark had already showed a, a really helpful map of, of Paul's missionary journeys, but just to show you again, we're going to be talking about a lot of different place names and cities as we go through looking at these letters. And I just want to highlight a couple of them. So this whole region is this region that Paul was, re was uh, reaching out to and lived his life. You see Egypt down here, and you have Judea, and Jerusalem is right here. And obviously in the book of Acts, this is where the faith spreads from. This is where the day of Pentecost happened. And you can see... Um, you can see that the gospel initially spreads this way, and it spreads back towards Italy and back towards Rome. And that's the journey that Mark just walked us through, where Paul is spreading the gospel, and it's working its way back to Rome. And that's where the book of Acts finishes. The gospel is, at, is in Rome. In some ways, it's at the hub of the wheel of the empire. And from Rome, the expectation then is that it goes out to the rest of the world. And so Paul's journeys take him through this region, and eventually he's going to go up to Rome. Some of the cities that we'll be talking about, Corinth is right here, uh, up here Philippi, Thessalonica, uh, Ephesus is uh, in this uh, region right in here, and other places that we mentioned, Crete, this island of Crete, uh, Asia Minor is kind of this region in here. And so just in your mind, as, as we're talking about all of these different places, this is the region of the world um, that we're talking about. And a lot of study Bibles and guides to the New Testament letters and to what Paul has written will kind of walk you through and have maps like this and charts to help you see this more clearly. But um, this is just helpful as you're thinking through. And when you hear about Paul doing uh, journeys by ship and going different places, it's um, often he's going across here. And obviously this would have been a very long journey to go around. So sometimes they would go Cyprus, and then they would stop at all of these ports along the way. And that's often how things were traded, and all of these different seaports were very important in this time. Okay, so let's jump, jump right into it. So like I said, this is going to feel very quick. We have 14 letters to cover in total. And so some of them are more... Um, more, not important, but some of them are certainly f more um, detailed and contain a lot more than others. And so some of them will have that feel where we just very minimally talk about them and others will dwell for a little bit longer. But we will uh, manage to get through all of them. One really important thing as we jump into these letters is that Paul is not writing these letters as a philosophical paper or as some great philosophical address to an important group of people. Um, we often are tempted to read these letters as kind of like timeless theology 
And sometimes imagine that Paul must have sat down and thought, I need to capture this timeless theological truth that will be read for all time. And instead, Paul was writing to very particular historical and local situations. Paul was writing to a very particular group of people in one place, or he was writing to an individual dealing with a situation. Now, it happens to be the case that God has preserved these letters written by Paul, and they do instruct us in some very, very rich ways. But it just happens to be that that's historically what's happened. But Paul wasn't writing expecting that we would be reading these thousands of years later. And he wasn't writing expecting that we would be, you know, taking all of these principles right out. He's instead writing to very particular situations. Now, that doesn't diminish what he says. It's just that's the mindset. And as we go through, that's why I'll be talking a little bit about what are the situations, what are the cities like that he's writing to, because that's that's what he was writing to. That's the situation he was trying to address. And that accounts for some of the differences in um, message and tone that you see in Paul's letters. So um, the first letter we'll talk about is... Um, First Thessalonians, and um, First Thessalonians, we think, was written right around 51 AD. And um, one thing is, as Paul was going through his different um, travels, he would, as he stopped in different places, he would write a letter to somewhere else. And so, Thessalonians, we think that Paul wrote this to the to the church in the city of Thessalonica while he was living in Corinth. So Paul is stopping in Corinth, and he's doing his, you know, church planting in Corinth, but he's also in communication. He'd send these letters as ways to communicate with all of these churches and people he was in contact with while he was moving around. So um, we think Paul wrote First uh, Thessalonians while he was in Corinth, and he was trying to encourage these new believers that were in Thessalonica, giving them instruction and reassuring them regarding the future hope of believers who died before Christ returned. One of the big issues that the earliest Christians dealt with is because they expected Jesus to come back at any time, and they would start to look around and see people are starting to, to die. People are starting to pass away in our church, and they began to think, Jesus hasn't come back yet. What does that mean? You know, this, my loved one who, who just died, are, are they going to be with Christ? He, Christ hasn't come back, and they had to wrestle through that, and so it's letters like First Thessalonians that help us help that church, but also help us know that we do have a future hope and that we are present with Christ. So some of these issues that were very relevant to them also are relevant to us today, and that's why uh, we're able to use these letters today. Um, Thessalonica was a really busy seaport, and it was a really important um, trade and communication um, stopping point where lots of different people would overlap as they traveled. From Acts 17, we know that Paul preached in the synagogue when he got to Thessalonica. And um, it's probably likely then that the church contained a mixture of Jewish believers and um, God-fearing Gentiles who had come into faith. Um, From that story in Acts, it's clear that Paul had to leave the city of Thessalonica very quickly. Um, He faced opposition there, and he had to kind of leave under the cover of darkness and move on quickly. So he writes this letter to kind of help encourage them because he had to leave quickly, and he wants to make sure that they have instruction Paul tried a number of times to return to Thessalonica, but every time he was hindered, he wasn't able to go back. Um, And instead, um, he had sent Timothy. And uh, we'll learn as we go through that Paul traveled with companions like Timothy and Silas. But Timothy had gone back to see how the church was was doing. And um, Paul had written this letter as well to try to encourage the believers there. 2 Corinthians was written um, very shortly, appears to be written very shortly after 1 
or sorry, first, Second Thessalonians was written very shortly after First Thessalonians, addressing the same group of people, the same group of believers, and again deals with this, this issue of kind of, you know, what happens next. And it talks more specifically about the Lord's return. A lot of our theology and understanding of the second coming of Christ is actually from this letter of Second Thessalonians. Uh, again, it's dealing with the question of why hasn't Jesus returned yet? So these are very live issues. These are very real issues that these believers are dealing with. And Paul is seeking to also encourage this church as they face opposition. Interesting insight here is he also writes to encourage them to work. And some people, it seems that in this church in Thessalonica, expected Jesus to return like so soon that they'd stopped working. They were like, what's the point of continuing to work? Jesus is about to come back. So this is one of the issues that Paul's writing to address. Um, both letters, uh, First and Second Thessalonians, are written... Um, uh, the person writing the letter would write in, these, in, in this time period, um, whoever the letter was from, they would put that at the start of the letter instead of the end. So we always write at the end, you know, especially not today, email, you know, I, you know, we always put, you know, sincerely, Graham, or thanks, you know, Graham, and you put your name at the end, but at these letters, they put it at the top, and so it tells us who actually was writing these letters, and both of these come from Paul, Silas, and Timothy together. And it kind of points to the fact that there's a vital role uh, uh, that they play, Silas and Timothy, in helping this church uh, to be established. So now we move on to Galatians. Now Galatians is one of those letters that there's definitely debate over when this was written and where the people lived. In, in where was Galatia, the recipients of this letter? Um, the reason for that is um, there was actually, in this time period, in this region, two separate regions called Galatia. And we just, there's one that's called North Galatia and one South Galatia. And we just don't know which region of those two this letter was written to. Um, but there's no doubt this letter was written to go to a number of different churches. It wasn't just written to one particular congregation. And depending on if you think it was the North or the South, depends on whether you think this letter was written earlier or later. And again, it's not... In many ways, it's not, it's not fundamental to understanding the latter itself. But, um, you know, you should know that there is that conversation between scholars as they try to piece all of that together. Uh, Galatians is a really important letter in the New Testament because it really helps to articulate the relationship between the gospel of Jesus Christ and the law of the Old Testament. And this, so many of the original Christians and early Christians came from Jewish background. They were Jews or else they were Gentiles, God-fearers, who had um, lived and patterned after the, after the patterns of the Old Testament law and traditions. And so all of these people have to make a very conscious decision of what do we do with all of these requirements to follow the law? Like what do we do with our Jewish tradition and background? Because they knew, you know, they're following Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, and they are trying to figure out Jesus as Messiah, and what does all of that mean? I mean, Jesus coming, he came as a Jew, it's laden, absolutely steeped in all of these Jewish um, traditions and, and history and culture, and they've got to figure out where, where do we kind of draw the line and, and what do we, how do we live as Christians? So uh, one of the things that Galatians does is really shows us Paul's argument for how the law and um, righteousness by faith in Christ, how that all kind of fits together. And so it's hugely important. Starting in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul launches into a passionate defense of the gospel. And one thing he does is opposes um, people who are, have gotten into the Galatian church, and they were telling the Galatians that even as Christians, they needed to also follow, follow Jewish customs. And so Paul's writing to say, you know, that 
That's not, that's not the way it should be. Paul's very careful to establish his authority as an apostle, saying that he received the gospel directly from Jesus Christ himself, and it's not a man-made um, revelation. Paul outlines how justification that's right standing before God comes through faith alone and not by observing the Jewish law. Instead, he talks about the law as having led us to Christ. You know, he uses multiple ways of talking about the fact that the law was designed to lead us to Christ. But now that Christ has come, fulfilled all of the requirements of the law, and now that he has died and risen, that he has freed us from the requirements of the law. And it's these theological arguments and these types of discussions that allow us to live our Christian faith the way we do today, free from these restrictions um, and uh, ways of living patterned after the Old Testament. Paul uses multiple analogies and references back to the Old Testament stories like Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar to kind of really show in depth um, what he's talking about, this whole idea of freedom from the Old Testament law. And then Paul finishes Galatians with um, just incredible writing on freedom in Christ, what it is to live in freedom in Christ, now that we're free from those Old Testament requirements, and what life in the Spirit looks like. Um, Mark touched on this early, earlier when he talked about this uh, Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, and it's, it's important as we look at this time period to realize just how critical that Council of Jerusalem was, and how important letters like this one to the Galatians um, was during this time period, because this was probably the largest single issue that the earliest Christians had to wrestle through. And, um, and this combination of the letter like Galatians and the events that Paul outlines, combined with the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, where they figured out, you know what, you know, these Gentile believers coming in are not obliged to follow these Old Testament patterns. It's a hugely important turning point um, in the story of the New Testament church developing, and we see this um, insight in the letter of Galatians. Moving along to 1 Corinthians. Um, Paul, it's believed, wrote this around 55 AD while he was living in Ephesus. Now, the city of Corinth was a thriving commercial center, and it was a major Greek city. And its citizens really placed a high value on understanding the latest philosophy of the day and the pursuit of wisdom. So the Greeks were really obsessed with this. They really, like one of the th high points of their culture is they wanted to hear the latest and greatest philosophy, what's the latest ideas, thinking about all of these philosophical um, traditions and the pursuit of wisdom. And so that's just the mindset that they lived in. In addition, in Corinth, in the city itself, there were at least 12 temples, the most famous of which was dedicated to the goddess Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love and whose worshippers practiced religious prostitution. At one point, it's believed that up to 1,000 temple prostitutes served in this temple at one time. And it was such an immoral place that the term to Corinthianize in the local language uh, was shorthand for to become an, or to practice sexual immorality. So it's a very corrupt environment. It helps give us an insight into some of the issues that Paul has to deal with in writing the letter of 1 Corinthians to the believers who are in the church and no doubt influenced by all of these things that are happening in the city around them. Now Paul stayed in Corinth during his second missionary journey. And uh, remember that's when he wrote, while he was in Corinth, he wrote those letters to the Thessalonians. And uh, Paul had arrived in Corinth after a difficult time in Athens, and he later was joined by um, other companions such as Silas and Timothy. Now, after Paul had uh, established the church in Corinth, he left, and 
someone called Apollos arrived, another man arrived to come in, and he was a very eloquent Jew, and no doubt it seems like from the Corinthian letters that he really impressed that local church congregation, especially because he was a much better speaker, public speaker than Paul. And that Corinthians and the Greek culture were really, they were really into that type of thing. Um, it's, real, it's probably clear from 1 Corinthians that this was not probably the first letter that Paul had written to the Corinthians since he had left them, since he had established the church there. And um, really there's, there's probably four letters total that were sent to the, to the Corinthian church, of which we have two still remaining. And that 1 Corinthians is probably the second letter that Paul wrote after that, what's called, what we call the former letter uh, that we no longer have. Paul is basically writing to um, to address the problems that have arisen within the Corinthian church, and it's it's kind of hard to like systematically define what all of the issues were that were happening within that church. But there's probably at least five main issues that are apparent as you read the letter and see the things that Paul's addressing. So number one is this partisan following of different leaders. So when you read first early chapter First Corinthians, it's you know some say I follow Paul, some say I follow Apollos. You know, so they're fracturing and, and following after these different leaders, and some are saying you know now what Apollos says is right, no what Paul says is right, and so there's no unity there uh, within the church. Number two, there was this continued practice and adherence to cultural values that they were bringing in from the right side culture that was influencing the life of the church. Number three, um, pride in using the spiritual gifts. So they have these spiritual gifts, you know, chapters 12 to 14 talk about the spiritual gifts, but they were using these spiritual gifts in the wrong way. They were very prideful and using them for self-enhancement instead of for the good of the church. Number four, there was problems regarding sexual practice. And number five, there was disagreement over the resurrection. And uh, Greek culture really didn't believe that resurrection was possible, and so Paul has to go out of his way, the famous chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, to demonstrate, number one, the resurrection happened, and number two, the resurrection is theologically at the very center of the Christian faith. If there's no resurrection, then it's for all of this is for nothing. So as Paul addresses these issues, for us today, we read some of the most enlightening passages on such topics such as marriage, sexuality, worship, the Lord's Supper, the proper use of the gifts of the Spirit, and the critical importance of the resurrection. So moving on to 2 Corinthians, and here I've outlined again that this, this whole idea that there was probably four letters that went to the Corinthian church. First, the former letter, 1 Corinthians, then what's called the severe letter, and then 2 Corinthians. Now, we know that Paul sends this letter to the first, Corinthian, the first Corinthians, and he sends it to the church there, and unfortunately, it doesn't, and it doesn't achieve all that Paul had hoped it would achieve. And so there's a need uh, that he has to send additional communication to them. And what seems to happen is he sends this severe letter, which we don't think we have in existence, although it's possible it's kind of rolled into Second Corinthians uh, somewhat. But anyway, it's this letter where he gets a little bit more kind of severe in his tone with the Corinthians and really tells them to shape up. And um, since, cause, since Paul had left, these false teachers have come into the church in Corinth, and they're spreading false teaching, but they're also undermining Paul's authority. You know, Paul's gone, he's traveling, and they're coming in and saying, you know, Paul's not really an apostle. You know, you shouldn't believe anything that Paul is telling you. So Paul goes out of his way in Second Corinthians to say, I, you know, he makes a huge case for why he is an apostle. Uh, and why he should be listened to. And he really has to defend his ministry. And um, 
they were really challenging Paul's personal integrity in just all sorts of ways. And, and so Paul at some point has to make a brief trip back to Corinth to try to, you know, rectify the situation, and he, called, he references that as the painful visit. And so evidently things didn't go well on that visit either. And so it's this complicated uh, relationship that Paul has with the church. At some point after the severe letter is sent, and it kind of has this more harsh tone with the Corinthian church, Titus has visited the church, and he comes back to Paul, and he says, you know, the severe letter changed things. There's a little bit more of a positive reaction and a change in the Corinthian church as a result of this severe letter that you've written. So Paul follows up with 2 Corinthians that's mostly a letter of encouragement, where Paul kind of changes his tone again and tries to encourage the believers. Now, the only difference you'll notice as you read through is, is chapters 10 to 13 seem to kind of have this more severe tone to them. So it's possible that, that those chapters are what we call the severe letter, or it's possible that they're completely unrelated. We don't really know, but as you're going through, you'll notice that change of tone. But the point is that Paul is kind of on the one hand trying to really encourage this church, but also tell them to uh, shape up and to really, you know, um, follow his teaching as he kind of defends his own integrity um, as an apostle. Now we turn to Romans a couple of years later, um, around AD 57, and this was at the end of Paul's third missionary journey, where he is um, staying in Corinth, and this is a couple of years after, you know, so all of these events I've talked about was the Corinthian church. After that, Paul is back staying with them again, and he stayed there for about three months while he was thinking through his next steps in ministry. And at this time, Paul had kind of, you know, he's talking about that he had kind of done a lot of, you know, these missionary journeys already, and he's really planning what ne what's next, and he's hoping to travel then on to Rome, and we know that from what Mark shared from the book of Acts that Paul eventually does make it to Rome, but at this point, he's uh, still anticipating that journey to Rome, and he's also beginning to talk about maybe going on to Spain and bringing the gospel to Spain. Uh, Romans is the longest of Paul's letters, which is why it comes first, right after Acts. Uh, one reason is it's the longest letter, and two, it's also what many believe to be the most complete um, kind of systematic description of the gospel. So Martin Luther famously read Romans, and it completely changed his life and helped to start the Reformation. Because Paul reads Romans and realizes it's you know, righteousness comes through faith in Christ. So Rome, at the city of Rome, even in Paul's day, was a magnificent city. So today we consider Rome to be one of the top places to visit, and there's so much history and so much to see and do. And even in Paul's day, it was an incredible city. I mean, it just had these amazing uh, buildings and architecture and temples and museums. I mean, it just was this fantastic city. It was the center of the empire. It was the center of the politics of the empire. The military strength was there the heart of the social aspects of the culture, and it was also the center for the religious life of the Roman Empire. It all came together in the city of Rome. And Paul's very familiar with that culture in Rome, and he's writing to a church that already exists. So Romans is interesting because Paul actually doesn't really know this church very well. He doesn't know these people yet. And why he's writing is he's writing this letter in anticipation of him joining them. And he's writing to them to make sure that they have a very full and rich understanding of the gospel message. So Romans doesn't address some very specific issues. Like in 1 Corinthians, he's addressing things like sexual immorality within the congregation. In Romans, he doesn't write these very specific notes because he doesn't know what those specific issues might be. Instead, he writes this very general kind of um, 
defense and explanation of the gospel message. And so for us today, we read it and we get to enjoy the richness of that message because he's taking his time to really talk about this bigger picture story of the Christian faith. He wants to really make sure that they understand the richness of the gospel, what freedom in Christ looks like. And there's very famous uh, chapters 9 to 11 in Romans that also talk about the place of Israel for, you know, in, now that this church is in existence. The reason he does that is because there's quite a significant, even the church is probably made up of Gentiles, but it's also very embedded within the Jewish community uh, within the city of Rome. And so he needs to address, as these believers are trying to wrestle through this, is how do Jews and Gentiles essentially live together within the one church? And so that's why he includes that. And many consider Romans to be a high point in Paul's writings. So now we move on to a group of four letters um, that uh, are considered to be the prison letters. And why they're the prison letters is because at this point it's believed that Paul has um, traveled to Jerusalem. He ran into conflict. And this is all outlined already by Mark. We see this in, the, in, the, in Acts Basically, Paul runs into problems in Jerusalem, and he's arrested. He goes, and he's in prison in Caesarea for a couple of years. And then, um, eventually, he goes to Rome to await trial. So you remember that part of the story in Acts. Well, it's at this point where Paul is awaiting trial um, in Rome that he writes what are considered to be the four prison letters, all within a short period of time, beginning with Ephesians. Now, the city of Ephesus, again, was another major city, and you're probably spotting a theme here, is Paul made sure to go to these cities where lots of different types of people would come and interact, where, you know, people were trading goods or communication paths, and he did that strategically because then, you know, if there were believers, if the gospel was planted there, then it would also be taken by those people, you know, they would interact as they came into the cities, and the gospel would be spread more quickly. Now, Ephesus was known for this very famous temple, that was dedicated to the goddess Diana, and it was such a magnificent temple that it was considered to be one of the wonders of the ancient world, and it drew visitors from all over the known world to come and see it. And from the book of Acts, we can guess that Paul was in Ephesus, the city, for about three years. Um, the, go the letter to the Ephesians doesn't really address just one particular issue, but um, instead, Paul writes to broaden their understanding of who Jesus is, to deepen their thinking about their faith, and to also really encourage them to see the value and the place of the church. So today, when we want to find uh, um, passages of Scripture that really talk about the importance of Christ and the importance of the church, the letter of Ephesians is where we go to, because it's there that Paul talks about, in pretty glowing terms, about the importance of the church as the culmination of all that God has done in Christ Jesus. So there's a certain kind of arc to the story where it gets better and better. And, you know, it gets to that point where God sends Jesus and all that Jesus does and all that Jesus achieves, and then it goes even higher, and it's now there's the church. The church is here. And so, again, Paul's talking about the importance of the church it's different from Galatians, which is, you know, in our New Testament comes right before it. There's a difference because Galatians addresses these questions of Jewishness and how do you deal with the Old Testament law. In Ephesians, Paul's not addressing any of that because it's not important to the Ephesian believers. They're not worried about those types of issues. And instead, the types of things that they have to deal with is this over-reliance on their prior habits where they were really engaged with things like magic and astrology and spiritual forces. 
And so Ephesians has this very kind of spiritual language and feel to it where Paul's talking about principalities and powers and all of these different spirits and things that are happening in the spiritual realm. And it's because the Ephesians, that's the world they lived in within the city of Ephesus. And, and towards the end of the letter, like I touched on earlier, Paul really talks about the church, just how amazing and awesome the church is. It's the culmination of all that God is achieving um, in the world. He talks about the church as being a united body, one baptism, one faith, and one God overall. It's also in this letter that we read about the roles of pastor, teacher, apostle, evangelist, and prophet for the edification of the church and building the church up. And then finally, Paul also talks about a right relationship. Within this culture, family was at the very, very core. It was the core unit of this culture. And so Paul needs to address issues of family relations. How do people get along? What does it look like to be a Christian and live in these families? And so that's why you read um, some passages towards the end where Paul talks about the relationship between husband and wife, parents and children, and things like that. Colossians, another one of these prison letters written around 60 AD. And uh, the city of Colossae was about 100 miles away from Ephesus, and um, the people here worship these really traditional gods. So the Romans had come in and said, we want you to worship all these Roman gods. And they were like, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to worship some of our older gods, in particular a goddess named uh, Sybil. And the people in um, this region lived in great fear, as many people did in this time period, of the spirits. And so they really lived in fear of these spiritual forces, and they really believed that these spiritual forces had, had a great deal of control over their everyday lives. And so uh, what was happening within the church is this heresy had come into the Colossian church. And so as these believers met together, there were certain things they were believing that had to do with the spiritual realm that just were not true according to, to what Paul wants to tell them. And so Paul has to kind of address this, these heresies, these false teachings that have grown up, including, you know, dealing with issues such as what's permissible to eat and drink and worship of angels and, uh, you know, these teachings that are undermining the supremacy of Christ and this whole concept of you've got to find secret knowledge, which was a very Gnostic idea and an over-reliance on human wisdom and tradition. And so the Colossians had really blended all of these ideas together, some Jewish and some Greek, and they'd kind of we're embracing all of these really strange ideas. And so Paul is writing to essentially say that Christ is above all of these other spiritual forces, that Jesus is superior and has supremacy over all of these spirits and everything that is happening in the spiritual realm, and that Jesus is not going to be impressed with all of these acts of ritual piety that they're trying to do, and that really they need to see that Jesus is high and exalted, that he is divine compared with all of these other empty philosophies that they're trying to, uh, to follow after. Uh, Philemon is a very short book, also written this time period, and basically it's written to Philemon, who was an owner of a slave named Onesimus, and Onesimus had stolen from Philemon and then run away. And, and Onesimus um, had then later uh, become friends with Paul and become a Christian. And Paul greatly just, he, he, I mean, he loved Onesimus. They were very, very close. But Onesimus, you know, as part of coming to faith, felt that it was right that he go back to Philemon, who was his slave owner, and make things right. And Paul writes this letter, encouraging Philemon as a fellow brother in the Lord to accept Onesimus back. And that's essentially the, the letter of Philemon, a very personal letter, not written to a church, but to an individual. We move on to Philippians. 
Um, Paul had founded the church in the city of Philippi during his second missionary journey. And you might remember the story in Acts, um, where it's the famous story of they're in jail, Paul and Silas in Philippi, and there's the earthquake, and the jailer thinks they've all run away, and he's about to kill himself, and Paul's like, no, and he becomes a Christian, and they, the whole family gets uh, saved and baptized. So that's, that's Philippi, and uh, where those things happen. And uh, Philippians is marked by a couple of things. One, it's a letter that contains real joy. So even though Paul is in prison, and even though the Philippian church is facing extreme persecution, this is a letter filled with warmth and with joy and with friendship. And Paul really uh, wants to address this church because they're facing persecution. And um, they're facing some issues of internal strife. And he really wants them to be unified as they humbly seek to serve each other and to serve God. And Philippians 2 contains that famous passage of the um, Christ as the humble servant, the one who, uh, it's the Christ hymn where, um, where uh, Jesus, you know, talks about he was exalted, equal with the Father, and took on the nature of a human, and then a servant, and, you know, you kind of see that progression where Christ lowers himself and then is exalted so that every knee will bow, every tongue confess. And Paul's saying that for, an, for a reason. He's saying, Philippians, this is what Jesus has done. You should emulate Jesus in your desire to humbly serve. And uh, that's why he's writing. And, and he's also writing to let them know of his own condition because he calls them partners in the gospel. He's a very close relationship with this church. One other interesting note about Philippi is that it actually was given very, very high honor within the Roman Empire, where even though it wasn't in Italy, it was given the status of an Italian city, which essentially meant all of the inhabitants of the city were technically Roman citizens, and that gave them all sorts of privileges within the Roman Empire. But um, it would also meant the citizens of Philippi were very proud of their citizenship as Romans. It you know, that made them superior to basically everyone around them. And so when Paul later in the book of letter of Philipp Philippians talks about your citizenship is in heaven, that's a very telling message to the Philippians who were very interested in issues to do with citizenship. Now we move into three letters that are grouped together, and we are get we're getting close to the end here, but there's three letters that are grouped together, and they're called the pastoral epistles, the pastoral letters that Paul writes to individuals leaders in the church, and fellow companions with him in sharing the gospel. And these are 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. So chronologically, the order goes 1 Timothy, Titus, 2 Timothy. So that's the order we'll look at them in. Uh, Paul had instructed Timothy to go and care for the church in Ephesus. And so Timothy is there in Ephesus, pastoring this church, and he's dealing with all these false teachings that are coming into the church. And so Paul writes to kind of warn against all of these false speculations that are coming into the church, all these false teachings, and to really refocus their attention on the gospel and that in Jesus there's forgiveness of sins. Um, Paul also talks about church fellowship, right actions. He talks about church leadership. And in the second half of the letter, Paul deals with specific behaviors and, and duties and, and kind of warns that they need to be fully reliant on God and not reliant upon their own wealth. Um, Titus, written also around this same time period. Uh, like Timothy, Titus was a fellow companion of Paul. And there are a lot of different similarities in the themes that are found in the Timothy letters that are also in Titus. And this is a very short uh, letter. Uh, but Titus was a leader at the church in a different region. He was a leader at the church on the island of Crete. And um, he was also facing similar issues of false teachings coming into the church. And so Paul writes to Titus to encourage him to oppose these false teachings and also to outline how church leaders should conduct themselves. 
Um, these letters often get used when churches are looking to hire someone and they, they put a job description together and they look for qualities that they look for in a pastor. Often you'll see First Timothy and Titus quoted because it's in these letters that the qualities of a pastor, an elder, um, and deacon are clearly articulated because Paul's wanting these churches to know how to um, structure themselves properly and also for right teaching to come into the church. Second Timothy, again, uh, at this point, it's a couple of years later, but Paul again is in prison as he uh, writes this letter. And probably this is the last letter that Paul wrote chronologically. This is right towards the end of Paul's life. And he kind of, as you read this letter, you have a sense that Paul knows that the end of his life is near. He's in prison. He, um, he speaks pretty, pretty candidly about his suffering for the gospel. And um, he's reflecting back on his ministry. And, you know, these are the, this is the letter where you get that sense of he's fought the good fight. He's run the race. You know, that type of language is in Second Timothy. But apart from looking back, Paul also looks forward as he anticipates the great reward that he will receive for his faithful service. And Paul has just such a high degree of confidence that he has served the Lord well. And he looks forward to that eternal reward that he anticipates will be coming very soon. He also writes to encourage Timothy to persevere in the faith. And um, towards the end, there's a lot of personal remarks he has in there, you know, greet so-and-so and, you know, just connect. You see the connection that Paul had with lots of different people. And he talks about his desire to see Timothy again um, as they partner in the gospel. So we just have one more to go, and that's the letter to Hebrews. And why I put it at the end is for two reasons. Number one, we're just not sure if Paul actually did write this letter. Um, and also, it's probably, we can't accurately date it, but it almost certainly came before 70 AD. And why we know that is this letter deals with a lot of issues to do with um, looking back into the Old Testament and Jewish faith as it relates to Christian practice and faith. And the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, and that was such a remarkable event and such a marked event for the Jews that if it had happened, if this letter had been written after that event had happened, it would have almost certainly been mentioned in the letter. So the fact there's no reference to the temple being destroyed means that almost certainly this letter was written before 70 AD. So as I mentioned, we're not sure if Paul wrote this or not. In some ways it doesn't really matter because the theology, the thinking, the language is all very, very similar to what Paul um, would articulate. Some have even speculated that maybe Barnabas or someone else that traveled with Paul uh, wrote this letter. But it was, it's always been, his, you know, historically um, received by the church uh, as a reliable um, letter, even though it cannot be traced directly back to Paul. Hebrews was written to Jewish converts to Christianity uh, who were very familiar with the Old Testament, and they were being tempted to either fully revert back to Judaism or to bring in all these Jewish elements within their Christian faith. And it's clear when you read this, um, this letter that was written to not just to one church, but to all believers who, who kind of come from this, this Jewish background, that um, they had received the gospel along with signs and wonders, miracles, and the gifts of the Spirit. So they had this authentic conversion where they came into faith. And pretty much from the moment they became um, Christian, they faced severe persecution for their faith. Uh, which went as far, so far as to include the confiscation of at least some of their property. You know, for some of those believers, they lost everything. So Hebrews is written against that background of persecution and this temptation to revert back to Judaism. And Paul writes to fill the believers there with encouragement uh, to remain steadfast in their faith and not to lose hope. 
Um, even though the believers are facing external pressure to follow after the wisdom and the patterns of their group with Judaism, and then also to put their faith uh, in desiring wealth and prestige. Um, Hebrews presents us with the absolute supremacy of Jesus as the mediator of God's grace to humanity. Um, Jesus is shown to be the full and final revelation of God, far surpassing the revelation given in the Old Testament. It also deals a lot with Old Testament themes. We read about Melchizedek and sacrifice and high priest, which is full of this Old Testament language and imagery. And the writer of Hebrews makes really skillful use of Old Testament passages to show how Jesus is superior to, to the law and to the Old Testament revelation. Chapter 11 has that kind of, you know, the heroes of the faith, that kind of the Old Testament heroes who lived by faith, Abraham, and these other figures in the Old Testament who demonstrated what it is to live a life of faith in God as an example to the, to the Hebrew believers so that they would persevere in their own faith. And then it also kind of concludes with a section that is forward-looking, anticipating this whole idea of entering into Sabbath rest and longing for that f- future home as Abraham once did Um, of entering into rest and entering into a place um, of complete wholeness uh, in God. And so um, this really concludes kind of our overview of the New Testament, a a part of the scripture that is very different than the Old Testament. It happens within a much more condensed time frame. We have everything from the birth of Christ to the writing of Revelation, kind of bookend chronologically the New Testament. All this happens within the time period of about 100 years. Whereas the Old Testament spans multiple, um, you know, century after century after century. So everything is very condensed in one particular part of the world, in one particular time frame. And so what we've seen is the introduction of Jesus, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, the Messiah. And Paul and Peter and these other writers help to teach us the significance of Jesus. We see the start of the church and the growth of the church within the Roman Empire, eventually making it to Rome. And uh, we see all of this most clearly in the writings of Paul as he helps to piece together what it is to live as a Christian in this current age of the church. So that wraps everything up. And we all thank you for coming out the last couple of weeks and uh, hearing this, the two weeks, the one on the Old Testament, one on the New Testament. And if you do um, have any questions, well, Mark and I will stick around for sure to answer any of those questions. If you do need to leave, that's fine. It's about five after 12. If you do need to leave, um, you are absolutely free to do that. But if you do have questions, we will be glad to try to answer them for you. So thank you.